This week, a Senate committee considers a treaty that would give the United Nations sway over our oceans. It's called the Law of the Sea Treaty, and today's guest says we should sink it. Also, how did the candidates in last night's presidential debate do on the issue of free trade? Is free trade good for America, or does it hurt us? We'll ask Phyllis Schlafly. This is Jerry Johnson live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. No, I don't think I waited too long. Oh, it seems about right to me. <laughs> I've enjoyed, I've, I've enjoyed watching these fellas. I've got to admit, it was getting a little boring without me, but uh, I'm glad to be here now. That was one of the best lines of the night. Uh, that was Fred Thompson. Everybody wondering if he was going to hit with a thud. He did pretty well last night. Uh, would you agree? If you do, give us a call, 800-881-9270. We handicapped the debate. We talked about it yesterday, right after it was over. You hadn't had a chance to see it. Now some of you have seen it, and we'd love to hear what you have to say about it. Did anybody win? I thought everybody did really pretty well. It was kind of fun uh, to hear all the candidates answering the questions. Of course, it was about the economy, but they addressed other issues. I think the second best line of the night was Rudy Giuliani talking about Hillary Care. There's a looming problem with Canada that you're missing. If we do Hillary care or socialized medicine, Canadians will have no place to go to get their health care. Of course, that was after Fred Thompson was asked the question whether he knew the name of the Canadian uh, leader, and he did. He was able to answer that question well. I think he passed the test last night. Well, speaking of health care, Congress has already been moving to implement Hillary care in the form of this S-CHIP program that they have passed. Uh, The president says he's going to veto this. It hasn't happened yet. But it really covers kids from families, not poor families, but families making up to $83,000 a year. Here's John McCain from last night's debate. Another one he should veto is the S-CHIP program, which you should say take the C out of, because now it's for everybody, like every other entitlement program. And by the way, a dollar a pack increase for cigarettes, so we want to take care of children's health and we want everybody to smoke? I don't get it. Former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee also weighing in on S-CHIP. The president was caught in a tough political battle. The Democrats won the political battle. Unfortunately, the issue wasn't about children. The issue was about uh, political posture. And the reality is you're going to create a huge problem for the Medicare Advantage plan and shortfall that. And many of the kids who will be covered under the expanded S-CHIP are people who already have insurance and will be coming out of their insurance programs. 
So what it really does is pull people who are already insured out of their insurance and uh, have the gov- uh, the government cover them. That's moving us a few steps toward Hillary Care, even before Hillary's in the White House. Uh, Fred Thompson made a pretty good case last night for free trade. Others also did. Uh, He said even though we pay high tariffs and uh, our tariffs that other countries pay are low, on balance, trade with uh, other countries is good. Uh, Candidates had varying positions and opinions on this. Now, later in the program, Phyllis Schlafly is going to join us to talk about how these candidates did on the issue of trade, what her take is, and also about these trade uh, packs like uh, the Central American Free Trade Agreement, the North American Free Trade Agreement, the Security and Prosperity Partnership. All of these things are uh, issues that Phyllis Schlafly uh, has a lot of expertise and knowledge on, and she will join us later in the program. Then we're also going to talk about a U.N. treaty called LOST, Law of the Sea Treaty. Should it get lost? Our guest uh, later in the program, Tom DeWeese, says that it should. He thinks that it should. Well, I want to read an email and also we'll begin to take your calls on the debate last night. We've been talking for the last several days about this idea of forming a third party if the nominee for president of the United States on the Republican ticket is not pro-life. We've been asking uh, you all that question, allowing you to weigh in. One of our emailers, Morris, uh, wrote us a note and said, I totally agree with you that there's nothing worse than having to choose the less of two evils. And he says there's no reason to give in and start thinking about a third party right now. He says there are plenty of good candidates on the Republican side, but like they say, there's no free lunch. He also says he's asking us to please educate people why Hillary and Obama are not the right candidates in every way. I think the uh, guys last night did a good job of that. From economics to health care and fundamental value of human rights, especially from a biblical standpoint, uh, standpoint, well, that's what we try to do here on Jerry Johnson Live. Also, Morris says, uh, I enjoy your show and learn a lot every day on the way home from work. He says, my only choices are Fred Thompson, Mike Huckabee, and Sam Brownback in that order. Well, we are taking your calls, but first, uh, first let's go back to the debate because there was a question about a third party. And the question was, do you promise to support the nominee of the Republican Party? Of course, that question was implying that even if the top of the ticket was pro-abortion. Here's the answer Sam Brownback gave. I will support the uh, nominee of this party. I think it's a big party that has a lot of different uh, people in, a lot of different philosophies, and I believe that uh, person that's going to lead the party will be somebody that is pro-growth and pro-life. I think these are two pivotal, key foundation issues that this party needs to stand for. But if not, if they are not, would you still support them? That's going to be. And I'm going to support the nominee of the party. He says that nominee is going to be pro-life. We'd love to know what you have to say, Russ. Uh, Russ is in Dallas. Russ, go ahead. Yeah, I had a question about a comment that Fred Thompson made. Uh, he was talking about some kind of tax. I, I, I don't recall the specific name of the tax plan, uh, but he talked about the number of people that were affected by the... The alternative tax minimum tax, from, AMT yeah, alternative minimum tax. to 20 million people affected. Mm-hmm. And he had mentioned that that would cut into a large portion of the middle class population. And I started thinking about the numbers, and it didn't seem like the top uh, 20 million people in America, as far as uh, wealth goes, would would affect the middle class at all, uh, looking at the numbers, and that 
the U.S. population is around 300 million. Right. Well, that's because like in that 20 million. So that's because that the thing? alternative minimum tax is figured in a very specific way, having to do with what kind of deductions you have in proportion to what your income is. So there's a formula. I know this because I do my own taxes and I fill this sheet out, and it's so complicated, it's unbelievable. As a matter of fact, this year um, I consider myself in the middle class, and I had to pay some alternative minimum tax for the first time. Now, next year, instead of three to four million people who had to pay it this year, about 20 million people will because of inflation. Uh, Inflation has affected this, and it hasn't been adjusted for inflation. But if you take certain deductions, your charitable giving, uh, your property tax, maybe, maybe medical expenses and things, if those deductions are fairly high, you are a candidate for the alternative minimum tax, even if you don't consider yourself in the upper middle class. And so that is what has to be addressed by the tax code. Now, uh, it brings a lot of money into the government, so members of Congress really don't want to get rid of it too quickly, and that's what this was all about. Well, let's go back to this whole question of a third party. Rudy Giuliani was asked his own question, uh, would it be good to have a third party? We've had third party options. I think our two-party system has served us well. I think that um, generally is the way our democracy operates. A lot of people are saying that a third party would actually elect Hillary Clinton. Other people say that Rudy Giuliani could not uh, possibly uh, win because the pro-lifers would leave or not get too excited about him if he were the nominee. Duncan Hunter uh, was asked the same question. Uh, Could he support, would he support the Republican nominee, no matter who it was? Yeah, I I would uh, support the nominee of the party, uh, but but also uh, work with whoever that nominee is to make sure that they understand that the Republican Party was built on a respect for human beings. And I think if we lose that, that respect and that protection for unborn human beings, then the party that Abraham Lincoln founded will be no more. So uh, these people tend not to acknowledge the possibility that Rudy Giuliani could actually be the nominee. In my uh, estimation, they're not being realistic. Uh, he could be the nominee. What do you think, ladies and gentlemen? Could you support the Republican, if you are a Republican, the Republican uh, nominee, no matter what, pro-choice or pro-life? Ron Paul had this answer. Absolutely. This idea of going and talking to attorneys totally baffles me. Why don't we just open up the Constitution and read it? You're not allowed to go to war without a declaration of war. Well, that was another great answer from Ron Paul to a different question, and that question had to do with whether or not uh, a president or whether these guys, if they were president, would go and attack uh, Iran without going to the Congress. And Ron Paul basically said, uh, you know, you have to go to Congress. You have to declare war before you do something like that. And uh, he was pretty much alone on that. Uh, Let's go back to Ron Paul's answer to the question about a third party. Not right now, I don't. Not unless they're willing to end the war and bring our troops home, and not unless they're willing to look at the excessive spending. Uh, No, I'm not going to support them if they continue down the path which has taken our party down the tubes. I mean, we've lost credibility because of all our spending, because we have violated the civil liberties of all the American people, and we have adopted the Democrats' foreign policy. Why don't we run on uh, George Bush's foreign policy of a humble foreign policy and no nation building and don't police the world? Then I'll support Let me try that, but... 
So uh, basically, he's saying he would not automatically support the Republican, and I'm sure he wouldn't. Uh, he's actually a libertarian running on uh, the Republican uh, as a Republican right now. Tom Tancredo was asked the same question. I've said I don't know how many times that I am absolutely tired and sick and tired of, of being forced to go to the polls and say I'm going to make this choice between the lesser of two evils. I, I really don't intend to do that again. I am hoping, of course, that whoever we nominate will, it, will be the, the, the principal uh, flag carrier for the Republican Party. But if that is not the case, no, then I will not say Ladies and gentlemen, I think uh, that is a question that a lot of us are pondering, and this was certainly uh, put forward and emphasized by this statement by pro-family leaders that Dr. Johnson and I have been talking about that said if the candidate on the Republican ticket were not pro-life, that uh, these leaders would consider going somewhere else. And uh, that's been out there for debate, and a lot of people have been debating it. Dr. Dobson, Tony Perkins, Dr. Johnson and I were both at this meeting also, and I actually agreed with the statement. He had to leave before we voted to say that uh, I would look elsewhere. I don't think it's uh, great politically to do it because I think that might elect Hillary uh, but to really take the pro-life emphasis out of our party by nominating someone for president that's not pro-life, I think that does our party and our country great damage. Well, Mitt Romney got his answer in on this. Is this country the hope of the world? Absolutely. And would I support the Republican nominee? Of course. I want that nominee, however, to come out of the same mold as Ronald Reagan. And that's somebody who is strong for our military, strong for our economy, and strong for our family values. And by the way, in terms of supporting these guys, I'd, uh, I, you know, I've come to know these people now uh, over these debates. I don't, is this our sixth debate, I think, something like that? And, and this, this, has a lot, this is a lot like Law & Order, Senator. It, <laughs> okay, thank you. It, no, it has, it, has, it has a huge cast. The series seems to go okay. on forever. And Fred Thompson Senator. shows up at the end. Fred Thompson's response? We cannot play. We will play that after this break. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, next up, uh, Phyllis Schlafly will join us. She's going to talk about how these guys, how these candidates did on free trade. Uh, They were all over the map, and uh, we're going to get her take on that next on Jerry Johnson Live. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. 
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. And to think, I thought I was going to be the best actor on the stage. <laughs> well, that's Fred Thompson responding to the ribbing that Mitt Romney gave him uh, about the, his late entry into the race. Uh, the rib back was really referring to the uh, reputation of Mr. Romney to be a bit of a flip-flopper. Well, uh, I'm Penna Dexter sitting in for Jerry Johnson tonight, and uh, we're talking about last night's debate among the Republican candidates a lot of it was on the economy. A lot of it uh, was on trade. And uh, Fred Thompson had this to say on the issue of free trade. Well, in um, a dynamic economy, uh, there are jobs lost and there are jobs gained. And so far, there have been more jobs gained. And to put up barriers and say that so-and-so cannot lose a job would be the wrong thing to do in a, in a, uh, in a free market economy. It's been so well for us. Uh, it's made us the most prosperous nation uh, in the history of the world. And uh, Mayor Rudy Giuliani was also a cheerleader for globalization and free trade. This, this, this country is the leader in the world. When, when Congressman Tancredo talks about the immigration problem, how about look at it this way? What country do millions of people want to come to, the United States of America? What country, I don't care if they bash us all, all over the world, what country do they most want to come to? What country do they most want to copy? What, what are China and India trying to do? China and India are trying to develop themselves to be like us, which is why we got a heck of a lot we can sell to them if we just put on our entrepreneurial hats and act like confident Americans. Other candidates had some concerns, including Mitt Romney, although he supports free trade. He had a few concerns uh, that we're not doing it right. Mike Huckabee also had concerns. Certainly Ron Paul opposes uh, a lot of the... Uh, entanglements we have with other countries. Tom Tancredo also has concerns, and Duncan Hunter. With us to discuss all of this is Phyllis Schlafly, president of Eagle Forum. Phyllis, thank you so much for joining us. I don't know where Phyllis is. It sounds like we may have lost her. Andrew, can you uh, try to get Phyllis back or see if she's just having trouble hearing me or if I'm having tr a little bit of trouble hearing her? Uh, what we really do, though, want to look at and kind of take apart is the whole idea of charging tariffs to the United States through some of these trade agreements and the fact that uh, many of the tariffs that we charge are very low. And then over and above that, we end up paying what is called a value-added tax, uh, which is another tax uh, that's basically levied on every uh, every stage of production. And uh, Phyllis Schlafly writes that the goal of our post-World War II trade agreements like GATT, which is the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, and also the World Trade Organization, was to lower tariffs mutually. Mutually is the operative word here, and that's not always what ends up happening. I think we've got Phyllis Schlafly back on the line now. Phyllis, thank you so much for joining me. Yes, Pat, I don't know what happened to that call, but I'm so excited to hear you talking about these unfair trade agreements, uh, which are so costly and, and are a major reason why millions of jobs have been lost to overseas. Uh, it, it really, the, the foreigners play us for suckers. Uh, we reduce our tariffs and they put on a value-added tax known as a VAT, which amounts to the same thing. So they've got maybe 16 to 25 percent uh, barrier, trade barrier, to our goods coming into their country. And uh, I noticed last night, really, Duncan Hunter is the only one who talks about this issue. 
And uh, did you watch the debate last night? Yes, and we've been playing some sound bites, and uh, we played the one, you probably missed it, from Fred Thompson, who was really, uh, and also Rudy Giuliani, as they really cheerled for free trade, and uh, talked about, uh, they basically said that it does our economy good, that we've grown because of free trade. But there is a huge sector of our economy that has actually been hurt by this. And as you said, Duncan Hunter talked about the number of jobs lost, and it's huge, isn't it? It is huge, and, and I think it is very disappointing that all of those presidential uh, aspirants um, are for free, free trade and have no particular uh, sympathy for the guys who've lost their jobs, except Duncan Hunter and Tom Tancredo, who did address the, the matter of jobs lost. And, and it isn't really free trade. It's, it's bad trade agreements that are unfair to the United States uh, that our government has signed on to in various administrations over the years. And uh, I, I was disappointed that I didn't hear more sympathy with the Americans who've lost their jobs. Uh, Michigan is a very depressed state, and um, most of them kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, well, okay, Michigan's down in the dumps, but the rest of the country's doing fine. And it really isn't. And the unemployment figures don't show it, because when, when somebody has lost a a good $60,000 job, and he's had to take a $20,000 job in the service sector, uh, you can see how their standard of living is reduced. He's still employed, but uh, it hasn't been good for that particular family who has then had to downsize their standard of living. Well, Phyllis, let's talk about some of these agreements. I mean, you mentioned, of course, and you've talked for years about GATT and WTO, but what about uh, this America's agreement, the CAFTA agreement, I believe it is, that Costa Rica just uh, just approved? Well, very narrowly. And, um, well, the administration uh, pushed it very hard, and it, it passed very narrowly. In fact, some people thought there was some hanky-panky about getting those last votes in the U.S. House. And actually, uh, somebody last night, I think it was probably Tancredo, who said it was a thousand-page agreement and only a couple of pages were really about trade. Uh, they include immigration sections and they include other sections. And this whole idea that, that uh, was repeated uh, several times last night, that this is going to help us to sell our products in other countries, most other the people in other countries don't have the money to buy our products. We're and buying their products. Um, yeah, they. I, I mean, we're talking about poor countries that don't have the money to buy our products, and um, so it's a one-way street. You know, they sold this this agreement, um, permanent uh, trading preference for China, right? A couple most, of years most ago. favored nation permanent yeah. status, right? Uh, by selling the farmers that they were going to be able to sell their wheat in China, that great big market. Well, but the Chinese are not buying our wheat. As a matter of fact, it now turns turns out that we are buying cheap wheat products from China, and they were. It was a wheat product that killed our cats and dogs earlier this year in the poisonous cat food that China sent over to us. And the idea that we should be importing wheat and importing um, uh, all of these foods that we grow ourselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. Phyllis, I mean, I'm, for, I'm for importing bananas and, and things that we don't have. But when it comes to wheat and beef 
and things like that, I see no excuse. Phyllis, let's talk about this idea of harmonization, because not only with the Central American countries, but when you narrow it down to this North American Free Trade Agreement and even this uh, Security Prosperity Partnership, which isn't going to be signed, it's not, it's not going to be an official agreement, it's just sort of happening, uh, what we're doing is opening up borders and, and making us all one country with two countries who are not nearly as prosperous as we are. That's right, and the American people do not want to be integrated with Mexico and Canada. They, they are very different countries. They, they have different laws, different customs, different standard of living, and uh, Canada's a socialist country and Mexico's a corrupt country, and uh, we don't want to be integrated with them. But as you say, they try to sell us on the idea of harmonization. Now, you see that particularly uh, when they're trying to rush a, a patent bill through Congress right now. They say we want to harmonize with other countries. Well, we don't because we have the best system in the world. That's why most of the great inventions are American. And then, then uh, <clears throat> you mentioned the Security and Prosperity Partnership. Um, when uh, you, know, you notice the, the one question that Fox News asked uh, Bush and the other leaders, uh, Fox News said, can you assure us that the Security and Prosperity Partnership is not a prelude to a North American Union like the European Union? And none of them denied it. They ridiculed it. Mm-hmm. They made fun of the question. They said they were amused. They laughed, but they did not deny it. You know, I was with someone uh, who is from Switzerland uh, this weekend just discussing some of these issues, and uh, this person said, well, I don't call myself a Euro. <laughs> Are we going to end up calling ourselves Ameros? Well, we, that's, what, that's what they say they want to call the new money when we um, mix our dollar with the peso, and I don't think the American people want to do that. So, Phyllis, can you just, uh, in this election, talk about uh, how Americans, I mean, maybe just saying, like, what candidates uh, would be the ones that would help America to stand up to for its sovereignty, which seems to be very important and seems to be getting lost in this whole agenda for globalization? Yes. Um, what is it you're asking me? Uh, just in this election, I mean, really the only way we can make a difference is with at the ballot box. Uh, well, yes, but it does appear that that uh, most of those Republican candidates are um, mouthing the the slogans about free trade and we have to compete with other countries and and that uh, sort of thing, which I think is is just missing missing what the grassroots want. Now there was a very landmark uh, a front page article in the Wall Street Journal just the other day. Uh, which shows that their their new poll says that Republican voters by two to one oppose free trade, and and this just shows that all of those uh, all of those uh, candidates except for Hunter and Tancredo are simply out of touch with what Republican voters want. Very interesting. Uh, it's too bad uh, most folks don't watch these debates. Uh, they would have heard that. Phyllis Schlafly, thank you for all you do. Oh, and you can uh, get more information on my website, eagleforum.org. Wonderful information, I might add. Thank you very much, Phyllis. God we will talk to you again soon. Well, next up, the Bush administration is pushing for the Senate to ratify the Law of the Sea Treaty. We're calling it Lost. There's a hearing tomorrow in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. We're going to talk about it with Tom DeWeese next
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. The UN Convention on the Law of the Sea lost the Law of the Sea Treaty. It's uh, sneaking through the U.S. Senate, some people say, toward ratification. Uh, Other critics say that it would jeopardize U.S. free enterprise, that it's seasick, that it hurts U.S. sovereignty. And our next guest says we need to sink it. He is Tom DeWeese, and uh, he is one of the nation's leading advocates of individual liberty, free enterprise, property rights, and back-to-basics education. He is the president of the American Policy Center, and uh, he says we've got to do all we can to stop this treaty. Tom, thanks for joining me. Anna, thank you. Tom, why is the Bush administration pushing the ratification of this treaty? Well, it's it's one of those planks that, uh, that President Bush has been working with uh, towards globalization. He seems to be really enthralled with this idea of uh, global governance uh, instead of uh, a, a strong, independent, sovereign nation. Uh, I hate to say that. Uh, you know, I haven't sat down in the White House and talked to him about why he wants to do this, but uh, his actions say this is, this is where he's headed. Well, uh, I understand that there are many nations that are already party to the treaty and that, of course, it's been around since the Reagan administration. Uh, President Reagan opposed it vehemently. Uh, and the proponents now say that some of his objections have been satisfied. Can you explain that? Well, they're saying that, but it's just not true. President Reagan said that this was a threat to our national sovereignty, and uh, that's why he would not sign it. And then after uh, he refused to sign it, for many years it was held up in the Senate by Senator Jesse Helms, who refused to bring it uh, to the floor for a vote for the very same reason. Uh, after he left and Bill Clinton tried to bring it up, we were able to stop it then. We stopped it a couple of years ago, and uh, now President Bush is bringing it back up. Uh, the reason that we say that this is a threat to our national sovereignty is that, first of all, there is a provision in it uh, called the, um, uh, the uh, what is it, the um, International uh, Tribunal for Law, and, uh, so they would just decide disputes between countries over certain areas. I'm sorry? This, this tribunal would be the one that is yeah. really deciding disputes between countries, right? Yeah, it would be, it would be deciding the disputes. The uh, uh, provisions of the treaty say that uh, in order to do any drilling, to do any uh, mining, to do any fishing, uh, ships in the sea would have to go through the, uh, the U.N., and, uh, and have them make the decisions, or, you know, through this treaty. And, uh, you know, th- this is why we say this is a threat to our sovereignty. It has its own court system. It has its own uh, police force. And more importantly than anything, uh, if this treaty is uh, enforced here, then uh, it will have the ability to tax. And one of the things that we have uh, made a number one uh, goal here is to make sure that the UN never gets the, the power to tax. It is a uh, voluntary organization, that's how it was set up to be, to live off the dues paid by its members. And the UN desperately wants to get uh, money coming in from other sources that it doesn't have to rely on anyone. And uh, once it does that, if it has its own court system, its own um, uh, taxation system, can buy its own army at that point, then it's a government. And that's what the U.N. was not set up to be 
but it desperately wants to be, apparently. And uh, there are many countries that would be only too happy to have that be the case, but the United States is not in that camp. And uh, to me, Tom, I don't understand why folks who sometimes have the right idea on the U.N. in certain cases, like the Bush administration, but they push us into these agreements. I mean, in a sense, this one... This is two-thirds of the surface of the earth uh, that the sea covers. So you're talking about a lot of control and a lot of loss of uh, U.S. sovereignty, aren't you? You are. And, and you know, it's interesting because you said that. The Bush administration uh, led the way not to uh, sign on to the Kyoto uh, Global Warming Protocol. It led the way not to sign on to the U.N. Criminal Court. And yet here we had this one dead. And they've brought it out from the dust heap, you know, to try it again. Uh, and it doesn't make any sense. And, and I am at a loss to answer why they want to do this. But, um, but they, are, they are moving in that direction, and it certainly would affect our sovereignty. Tom DeWeese is with me. He is president of the American Policy Center. Tom, I get your emails, and you always have great articles and information. So if people want to uh, learn more about your group and uh, also read what you write, uh, how can they do so? Well, our website is AmericanPolicy.org, and on that site, uh, we have, I have my monthly newsletter, the DeWeese Report. You can read a lot of the articles from it. Uh, a lot of things archived on there for, for a lot of issues. Our action alert system, which is called Sledgehammer, uh, we send out uh, those by email whenever something hot is happening. We tell you what, what the situation is, who to call, here's the numbers, uh, all the information you need to, uh, to take action. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, again, my guest is Tom DeWeese. If you've got a question for him or if you want to make a comment about this uh, lost treaty, the Law of the Sea Treaty, give us a call at 800-881-9270. Basically, it runs contrary to not only free market principles but also national sovereignty. It just grows the United Nations. It creates this international seabed authority over international waters. And I understand, well, at least the Bush administration, Tom, claims that the U.S. Navy wants this. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that part of it? All I can say is that those members of, of the armed services uh, who are testifying in favor of this treaty uh, in, in front of congressional hearings are political appointees. They are people whose jobs depend on this administration, and they've been told to do that. Um, this, this treaty uh, most certainly does not help uh, the U.S. Navy, and let me let me just give you this: they they're giving you, uh, they're giving Congress the line that if we don't sign on to this treaty, then we're going to be left out, and we won't have any say, and 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 we might be able not be able to run our ships and so forth. The truth of the matter is, this treaty has been in place since the 1990s, and uh, the United States has not signed on to it, and the United States has never had a problem running its ships anywhere. Uh, so obviously we don't need this treaty in order to run our ships, uh, but it could, if, if we sign on to the treaty, then we've put ourselves under the jurisdiction of it, and you've got 20 different people on this uh, seabed authority, the International Seabed Authority, which is the main force in it. Uh, a lot of the members of that seabed authority are, are not even ocean-going countries. They, they can be landlocked countries, yet telling ocean-going countries what, what they can and cannot do. And uh, it could affect us 
you know, if we're say we're trying to track down terrorists on the open sea and somebody file, files a grievance against that, could stop us from doing that, that sort of thing. It's just something that is not in the interest of the U.S. Navy, no matter what they say. Jonathan in Fort Worth has a question. Jonathan, thanks for calling. Oh, you're more than welcome. Um, I have a question as regards what I would hope in the future is the United States withdrawal from what is currently the U.N., and if there's been a movement in that effort to establish a, a league of free nations where other nations who really aren't free, your Iraqs and places like that, and Iran can sit and watch and be invited to speak, but free nations, Great Britain, Western Europe, a lot now Eastern too, and people that honestly elect their leaders at the very least, maybe some other criteria, is there any movement in that direction anywhere? Is there someone speaking about it? Is there a group working towards it in some effort to get in the public eye? Tom, I guess the first step would just be pulling out of the United Nations, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. And, and I mean, the United Nations is the most corrupt entity on Earth, uh, and it's corrupt because uh, it gives power and voice to tin-horn dictators and people who uh, never would have a voice otherwise, uh, and you know wouldn't, wouldn't be taken seriously, but here they all have. We have the same vote: one vote, one vote, one vote. Um, I have heard discussion, like uh, like your caller is mentioning, and uh, you know it, it, if we need a place, and the United Nations was sold as a, first and foremost as a place after World War II where nations could go and discuss their problems and not do it on the battlefield. That's an admirable uh, thing to want to do. And nations do like to organize and, and uh, work together on things. There's nothing wrong with that either. Uh, so that sort of a thing, people with principles, people with, uh, you know, as you say, free countries that elect their, their leaders and can deal with people honestly uh, would certainly be a, a, a good place to start. Um, but I, I don't know of a movement that's heading in that direction, but, but it is under uh, discussion. Jonathan, thanks uh, for your call. Let's go to Paul in Frisco very quickly, Paul. Jonathan, a lot of ways we can figure out who's pushing this is follow the money. Do you know any particular industries or organizations that feel they're going to profit from this immediately and we can trace their interest in this other than the one-worlders who want it on general principle? Tom? Well, one of the uh, main um, objections to it is that this thing gives a a back door to environmental activists. Uh, There's a lot of wording in there about protecting the oceans and the environment and so forth. Um, a lot of times I hesitate to mention that because people automatically say, well, yeah, we've got to, we've got to protect the oceans and, 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 and uh, the environment, and I agree with that. But uh, you're talking about groups like Greenpeace, the Sierra Club, the Nature Conservancy, people like this who have political agendas, who have flat out said they don't believe in free enterprise and private property, and uh, this gives them power. And they are one of the main forces that gets power from this, um, there are also the connection of public-private partnerships between uh, government entities and, uh, and global corporations that have a chance to get a leg up on their competition by getting involved in this. We've got to have you back to talk about those partnerships uh, because we've, we're dealing with this trans-Texas corridor here in yep. this state that you know about. Thank you so much, Tom, for all your work on these issues and for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, next up, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about this. If you've got a call or a comment on the uh, Law of the Sea Treaty, you can give us a call. Uh, We'll also talk a little bit about uh, Barack Obama's and Al Gore's positions on the environment, energy, and global warming. All that right after this.
If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. The planet has a fever. Well, that's the environmental campaigner Al Gore, and uh, he is basically picked as a favorite to win the Nobel Prize. Peace Prize in Oslo this Friday, and of course that's for his movie, uh, An Inconvenient Truth, and is very interesting because uh, uh, the report I just read you was out of a British paper, also from Breitbart, uh, the story that says uh, a judge on Wednesday ruled that Al Gore's award-winning climate change documentary, An Inconvenient Truth, should only be shown in schools with guidance notes to prevent political indoctrination. This judge, Michael Burton, decided uh, that there was action brought by a father of two claiming that this movie, An Inconvenient Truth, had inaccuracies in it. So a dad uh, really basically sued because his child was being exposed to this. And the judge said, well, this movie can't be shown unless there is some kind of a... uh, I guess a note, a guidance note is what they call it. And so uh, a victory, in a sense, for truth uh, there in the United Kingdom with regard to Al Gore's movie, An Inconvenient Truth. Well, let's go uh, to somebody else who's talking about global warming, and that is presidential candidate Barack Obama. He was speaking in New Hampshire yesterday. He spoke out on the president's position on global warming. Washington's failure to lead on energy is the failure of a president who spends most has spent most of his time in office denying the very existence of global warming. An administration that suggested it was a hoax. A president who put more faith in the spin of a science fiction writer than the science facts of real experts. Talking about Michael Crichton there as a science fiction writer, Barack Obama also spoke about the energy plan that he would implement if he were elected president. From the moment I take office as president, I will call together scientists and entrepreneurs, heads of industry and labor, Democrats, Republicans, and Americans from all walks of life to help develop and deploy the next generation of energy that will allow us to build the next generation's economy. You've got to wonder what Obama or even Hillary would do with this uh, U.N. treaty, the Law of the Sea Treaty that we've been talking about on the program. If you have a comment on it, uh, we will take it here in the fourth segment. The number is 800-881-9270. But uh, the Wall Street Journal has weighed in on the treaty. Uh, this week, there was a uh, an opinion piece about it 
by Ed Meese, who was the Attorney General for President Reagan, and also William Clark, who was the National Security Advisor, both of them talking about why Reagan stood strongly against the Law of the uh, Sea Treaty because of national sovereignty issues, and that he would still stand against it today, that there's been nothing that's changed in the treaty that would make President Reagan support it. And uh, in another piece, the Wall Street Journal says that uh, it was deep-sixed years ago by the Reagan administration, that it resurfaced last month uh, with President Bush, urging ratification of it, uh, that it was launched in 82. Other nations have signed on. We have not. The Wall Street Journal says, we can't say we're convinced, but even so, the treaty's central problem cannot be fixed. It's not in the national interest of the U.S. to have its maritime or economic power subject to the whims of a highly politicized U.N. bureaucracy, often driven by an anti-American agenda, nor is it in its interest to be a party to another treaty that other signatories might flout with impunity. That's what we have talked about here on today's program. And uh, so when you start to hear this acronym LOST, you know we're talking about the Law of the Sea Treaty. It will be considered in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee tomorrow. Uh, As mentioned earlier, Senator Jesse Helms used to keep these things uh, safely uh, in committee and off the floor of the Senate no longer will happen. Senator Richard Lugar uh, is the minority uh, powerful guy there in the uh, in the committee, and he will not protect us from the lost treaty. So, ladies and gentlemen, how are we to think about something like this? You know, the Bible says that the earth does not belong to the United Nations. Does it say that? Well, no, but it does say that God created the earth in Genesis 1. Uh, he created the dry land and the seas, and in Psalm 24... It says, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Of course, that's uh, brought forward into the New Testament in a couple of other places. But we should not cede control and power of the seas of our earth to the United Nations. Uh, The United Nations is a godless international organization, and we need to draw a line in the sand with regard to these national sovereignty issues. We also need to draw a line in the sand over the life issue. And as we look at these presidential candidates and where they stand on the issue of life, this has to be very important in our thinking. We would never tell you how to vote here on this program. We're not going to even tell you what political party to be a part of. But we want you to think of your Uh, Your stewardship over your vote is very important. And when issues like life and marriage and family are important to you, then they should enter into your political decisions. Well, tomorrow, uh, joining us will be Dr. Richard Gamble, professor of history and political science at Hillsdale College. Uh, That's a wonderful school, teaching free market principles and uh, political science up there in Michigan. He'll be joining us. This week, Congress is considering reauthorizing the No Child Left Behind education bill. And uh, there are problems with it. Uh, There are some good things about it having to do with accountability. But uh, Dr. Gamble will join us to talk about that. Also, next Thursday, one week from tomorrow, uh, Ann Coulter, best-selling author, uh, attorney, political pundit on television, and a whole lot of fun, is going to join us on the program here on Jerry Johnson Live, and uh, you don't want to miss that one. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's just go back to what a couple of these candidates have said. I think one of the most important statements was made by Senator Sam Brownback. 
because uh, he was asked what the biggest economic problem was facing our country, and here was his answer. The breakdown of the family is our biggest long-term problem we have. You've got 36 percent of the children born out of wedlock in Detroit. Greatest economic threat. Yes, on a long-term basis, because if you don't start children, and you can raise a good child in a single-parent family. You can do that. But we do know by the broad numbers that the best place is between a mom and a dad. And in our inner cities, you're looking at 65, 70 percent of the children born out of wedlock. You, you know, your best way to solve your education, your, your uh, crime rate problems, your drug problems, is to get more children in that stable environment. It's a tough issue. This is a tough issue. But long term, I think that's our biggest problem. Well, he is strong. Rudy Giuliani said education was our uh, toughest issue facing us, facing the economic situation of the country. But I think Sam Brownback went further. The American family is under attack, both from the media, from the popular culture, and also from uh, this whole moral system that says it's okay not to have a mom and a dad raising kids. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's not okay. Uh, God had a plan for the family, and to the extent that we follow God's plan for the family, we prosper as a nation. Ladies and gentlemen, join us tomorrow for Jerry Johnson Live. Thank you for being with us today. been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.